So would you open God's precious holy word to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to back up to the verse we finished with last time when we were in Ephesians, which is verse 18. Because it continues to build upon something we've already looked at. And in this, it transitions us into the last part of Ephesians 1. This is what, what we're, we're learning in Ephesians. What the Holy Spirit through Paul is teaching us is the highest thing for us to know. Sometimes people, because it doesn't fit into human wisdom and it doesn't fit into human reason and it doesn't fit into human philosophy, too many times believers misunderstand the great doctrine that is being taught here in Ephesians 1 and thinking they cannot understand it, they bypass it. Or they read quickly over it and don't go back to focus on that particular part of doctrine and theology. The longest sentence in the Koine Greek New Testament begins in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 and ex extends all the way through verse 14. It... The Holy Spirit of God expressing through the Apostle the deepest and highest and greatest thing that we could possibly be told. And it encapsulates the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all in this, <clears throat> excuse me, all in this one long sentence. So to summarize... The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world and predestined us to divine adoption as sons. This is so that we obtain the inheritance <clears throat> that the Father gives to his Son. Moving on through that long sentence, the Son redeems us through his blood, forgives us of our trespasses, obtains for us that inheritance. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit seals us to the day of our redemption and is deposited within our lives as the earnest payment for our inheritance. So the master plan of God is divinely affixed on those of us who are in Christ and this great blessing that is ours is a blessing that God has guaranteed to us and has secured for us from before the foundation of the world. Nothing can undo that. Nothing. It is so difficult. And I understand it's very difficult for, for young Christians, for new believers in Christ. To come to Christ is something that one thinks initially that 
he has to contribute to. So it's a natural outflow of the human experience. But as we grow in Christ, we realize more and more that we actually contributed nothing to our salvation. That it was all of God and none of us. And the longer we go along in the Christian experience, the more we realize how vile and depraved we are. And the more humbled we become before God who has called us to himself in Christ Jesus. And we study the things that he has done for us, is doing for us, will do for us. And we come to realize that we are powerless to achieve these things. They're already fixed in the heavenly realm while we're walking through this time in which we live. These things are already done in Christ by the will of the Father. This is the highest and deepest thing that we can be told as believers. Which, of course, by design carries us to the praiseworthiness of God. That we will always be in reverential awe of God, not of ourselves. Not of anyone else who might be there with us, but of how God used all of our experiences in life to bring us to himself by his design. And so, much of our existence into the ages of ages will be to offer him the praise that he is due for what he has done for me. I found something funny on Facebook and I, I just, you know, sometimes I'm going to share that thing and I hope it don't cost me nothing. Punch that share thing, you know. And it was, uh, it wasn't Martin Luther, I forget who it was. Anyway, the quote was, I'm so glad we're saved by grace and that it's not anything that I've done or not of works because I sure would get tired of hearing people brag for eternity of how they got to heaven. How true that is. There is nothing that we can praise ourselves for or even other people. Because divine knowledge leads us into the truth that God used them. It was Christ in them. Working out how he had called them and resourced and gifted them for his work in this world. So after that long sentence of what God has done for us, which, which is staggering, it boggles the imagination. It strikes us down to where we should be on our faces before a sovereign God. Then why do, I, why do I know of Christ? And why do I love him so much? And why have I come to him by faith? 
when everything in the world tells me not to. It's because God did a work, a miracle of grace in our lives individually. And in that long sentence, Paul just takes us back to eternity. And says to those of us who are in Christ, you are here by the design and master plan of God and there's no other way that you can see it. This is the way it is. The Holy Spirit of God says, God has chosen you in Christ. He has predestined you for things. This is, hap- this is something that has occurred before the foundation of the world. And he sent his only son to do what he had to do. And now has sent his spirit to do what he does. So that his master plan will be absolutely completed in our lives. We are secure in Christ by the power and will of God. So Paul then in verse 15 begins to pray. And he says something like this. He says, I, I'm, I'm praying. I'm mentioning you in my prayers. I'm praying for you that God will give you the wisdom and the revelation To understand these things. We cannot understand these deep eternal truths. Unless the Holy Spirit of God enlightens us. I believe personally that it is involved in the process of Christian maturity. There are some things that are hard to swallow at the first of Christian faith. But as we live in this Christian faith, and as we study the Word, and as we experience the Christian experience, more and more we realize the presence and power of God, and more and more we realize how helpless and pitiful we are in this world. So the Holy Spirit through Paul, now you remember, I hope you remember this, we studied Christian history and, and what is called higher criticism to realize that in the very earliest manuscripts, the little phrase in Ephesus is not in the earliest manuscripts. And, and through studying the type of material that the manuscripts were written on, we can date when these things were written. So at a later time, in Ephesus, the saints in Ephesus, in Ephesus was added. The obvious truth is that it is a circular letter and that somebody somewhere along the way maintained when it was Ephesus' turn to get the letter, it was sent to the saints in Ephesus and it sort of stuck with the King James translators. It's not my purpose to argue all of that. My purpose here is to take you back to the earliest manuscripts that are available and understand that this letter in its original text, is written like this, to the saints who are in Christ Jesus. So it's the kind of a thing that applies to all of us. We don't just say this is just for the Ephesians or anything. This is for all. This is a great, wonderful, deep, theological, doctrinal truth that hopefully will be accepted by the teaching of the Holy Spirit In the heart, in the essential existence 
of the Christian, of the believer. So these things are to be applied to the life, to the life of every believer. So here we are. Now Paul begins that prayer, or he begins to tell them, he's praying for them, that they'll have wisdom and, and revelation, that they can understand this deep, wonderful thing. He wrote to the Colossians, as a matter of fact, and he said something similar, but what he was saying was, you can't apply, you, you can't amalgamate, you can't mix the spiritual teaching of the Spirit via the blessed Word of God with any other kind of reasoning or teaching. You can't, you can't depend upon human philosophy to teach you these things. You can't depend upon human, human wisdom to teach you these things. They are beyond human wisdom. They are beyond human intellect. They are beyond human understanding. This is an understanding that has to come from God. The fact that we have forever been fixed in his purpose and plan as who we are in Christ. So when I, when I read how it's applied, the, the Greek, it's earlier. I don't have that text. It's, it's a few verses earlier here. He says, it's for you or to you. The pronoun is personal, and it's in the first, so it means you. It doesn't mean all who in the course of the ages will come to Christ. It doesn't mean that. It means you. You can't wiggle out of that. It means me in Christ. It means you if you're in Christ. It's not something that bounces off of you and goes to the other guy. This is personal between God and who you are. You can insert your name there. Because of the use of the language as inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So as Paul continues this teaching and the explanation of how he's praying for us, then we can understand who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. May I say to you, you cannot ask for more forgiveness. You are utterly forgiven of your sins forever. You cannot ask for more divine power. It has been given to you by the presence of the Holy Spirit who seals us to the day of redemption and who is given to us as an earnest payment for the glory that is yet to come. And we looked in the language. If that's a once for all thing, it can't be taken away. We talked about that already. You can't, you can't have more. You can't be more of who you are in Christ. This is the great truth of Christians. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. There are times we're going to be ashamed. But bless God, we don't stay there. But the power of God that works in us. So Paul continues, and I've already looked at this, but let's look at it because it's a good transition to the completion of the chapter. 
Praying that your, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. You see, heart, cardias. Cardias. Now this is a, this is a growth, theologically I guess, doctrinally. This is, this is something that Christians, this is a knowledge that's given to us by the Holy Spirit that was a more generalized knowledge in the Old Testament, but not as specific as we see it here. For example, the translators would translate a, a certain word in the Hebrew, the literal translation of which was bowels. I love you with all of my bowels. That's kind of nasty. Pets in the nursery. I love you with all of my bowels. Oh, man. And do I have a gift for you. Well, okay. Sometimes the sixth grader in me just jumps out. I'm sorry. Another word is liver. I love you with my liver. But in the highest of experiences taught by the Holy Spirit of God as believers in Christ with the Spirit in us, here's the highest of the truth. The eyes of your heart being enlightened. The very thing that pulsates life. The essence of your existence. That with who you are with who you really are, your eyes will be enlightened. That you can understand with the deepest of your existence. That the, that the tenderness and the radiance can be seen. The eyes of your heart being enlightened. How precious and wonderful you are to God. Who set you apart from before the foundation of the world. Before, before there was a speck of dust. I have no idea. What the realm of pre-existence was like. I don't know. Before Genesis 1-1 and following. I don't know. You don't know. Scientists think theoretically they know. But that's not science. That's just a theory. How can I understand? How can I know this? We're going to find out how as we go along this. That the eyes of your heart being enlightened. In order for you to know what is the expectation of his calling. Every one of these thoughts are directed to God. It's not about you. It's for you to know about Him. What He has done for you eternally. Not just an afterthought. Oh, there's a little boy. What's his name? Charles? Well, I'm going to try my best to get that guy into the game. It doesn't work that way. God's no gambler. God doesn't take chances. 
the expectation of His calling. He called me so that I could be given new life in Christ to be able to call upon Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know why God is so confident with that word, whosoever? Because He knows whosoever can't call Him unless He calls Him. God does the calling. And we must respond to that. The expectation of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? Now that speaks of familyhood. That speaks of sonship. That speaks of being a child. It says to me that the beginning and the end and there is no end and there is no beginning but who I am, I am in Christ by the power of God and in Christ that can never be undone, never And he has guaranteed this inheritance to me. Now, can you understand, can you begin to understand, we'll never completely understand it, but the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Take your mind off of yourself and put your mind on God. Are you saved? Bless God. Is your inheritance The inheritance of the saints. You didn't buy it or pay for it in one whit. It is all of God who purposed it and has given it to you freely. The abundance of the riches that are ours as saints. Now, that brings us to the place where we start today. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us? His power toward us. Now I want you to look at this. Because this is a this is a high energy power related slide. Power Might, strength, working. Let's think about it. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us? All that is mine in the heavenly realm. All that will be mine and is mine set eternally. Even what I was before the foundation of the world, all of these are according to his power. How what was it my mother used to say? How in the Sam Hill or something like that? How in the Sam Hill or in the name of John Brown or whatever it was she used to say, how could I ever think of anything when nothing had been created yet. Why couldn't? That's outside my power. Well, that's where my salvation belongs. Therefore, 
it is according to the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. <coughs> his power toward us. Those believing. Now this is for believers. This is just for the elect of God. This is just for his own. Those believing. Why do we believe? According to the working of his might and strength. The word dynamos, power, dynamo, dynamite, explosive, great power. And then according to the working energy, energy. We get our word energy from that. His energy, not mine. His might. Kratos and strength, ischius. Strength, that ischius. That word means force, ability, forcefulness. According to his force, according to his ability. Why am I a believer? Because of his ability, not mine. Because of his might, not mine. Because of his working, not mine. Which he worked in Christ. Okay, I have to say this. Worked. You see that? That's probably too little for you to see. Uh, but he, he worked it. Okay, he worked. Nergekin. Which he worked in the Christ. All right. Stay with me. This is important. Because it makes it undeniable. In the Greek text. Holy Spirit of Paul. The Holy Spirit of God leads Paul's pen. He worked. It's in the perfect active. Which means... It is a completed action with continuing results. It's already settled. God did it in Christ. But it has continuing results. You may be here today without Christ in your heart and your life and you didn't realize it. But today you're going to come to Christ. You'll do it by the power of God because God already did something in Christ. And if you come to Christ, it would have included you. You may not know that, but that's the truth. That's why Paul prays for us to have divine wisdom and revelation. Having raised him out from the dead and having set him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Okay, having raised, having set, those are in the aorist active. Oh, stay with me. It means that it's an action that's done but it's an effective one-time action. It don't have to happen again. It, can't, it won't happen again because it was effective. So what's effective? He raised Christ from the dead and has set him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Let me tell you how that applies to you and me. Some may consider the great truths 
the deep things of Ephesians 1 that carry us into that thought of a realm before existence, before the foundation of the world. And it uses those words, chosen and, and predestined and all of those words that just fly so high over our heads. So it would be natural, I suppose, for someone to sit around. Will God really do this for me? Did God really do this for me? Can God really do this for me? Here's the proof. His illustration, his proof is that he raised Christ out from the dead and has set him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That same truth, the same power of that truth, as surely as Christ is, if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, you need to go on to the bar somewhere and just have a drink because you're lost as a ball in high weeds. How can you be a Christian without God planting into your heart the beauty and the truth of the resurrection of Christ? That death has been defeated. Not only that, Christ has ascended. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is there interceding for me. He's my high priest. He died to save me. He was raised up to prove that he had paid for my transgressions and he has justified me, proving my justification, my resurrection, according to Romans. And then he has, been, he has ascended into heaven and there he is seated. He died to save me. He lives to keep me saved. That's God's illustration. Is this stuff about me being part of the, before the foundation of the world and all of that? Is that, is that there it is. That's his illustration. As surely as those things are true, the other things are true of us in Christ. Having set him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Above every principality. Arches principality. That's the first power. That's the first level of power in the created order of things. First level of power. So I suppose in a fallen world, in the world system, we would think the first level of power in a fallen world would be Satan. And authority. Now that word, exousias, that's the second level of power. And power. And dominion and so forth. You see where it's headed in the text. You go to anything that has a title. You think of any title. You think of any rank. Christ is above that. And every name being named. Anything in the created order that has an identity. Christ has been set above that. Not only in this age, but also in the coming one, the coming age. We will never, ever see a time or have an experience ever 
where there is any power above Christ. Never. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is both creator and judge. He is the Savior. All things are made by Him, for Him, and in Him all things are held together. Colossians chapter 1. It is all of Christ. The Father has willed it so for His Son. No personality of any kind can be above Him. So since He is above everything, nobody will ever be able to object to the security that is mine in Christ by the good pleasure and will of the Father. Can't object to it. In Romans 8, the, the question is asked, is asked, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely no one. In every age that one can think of. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. The Pope recently declared that atheists can go to heaven. He declared the legitimacy of homosexual unions. He is not the head of the church. Who does the Bible say is the head of the church? Christ. By the will of the Father. By the way, Christ objects to those aforementioned things in his precious word. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. Now notice it says, to the church. And he's writing to the church, to the saints. So he's head over all things to the church. Now what does that mean? I, I love the way here that it's given uh, in, in the text up there. All things to ecclesia, to the church. To ecclesia, to the church. He's head of all. All right, so what is to the church? Well... Anything in the worldview of the present state of affairs that objects to the Word of God is something I'm going to have to consider, read the Bible about, be discerning, and understand that Christ is head over all things to the church. Therefore, if the world says one thing and the Word of God says another thing, then I'm going to have to submit to the authority of my Lord because He is head over all things. You could say over all issues to the church. Don't be confused about things in the world. You, you'll most often be in the minority. Why should that intimidate anybody? If God is for us, who can be against us? Gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one filling all in all. The church, Christ is the filling, is the fullness of the church in this present age. May I say, 
that if there are those who claim to be a part of the church and they will not submit once being taught. Now, Christians can be ignorant. They ought not to be. You just slap them in the face. If they're enlightened by the blessed, precious, holy word of God about issues over which they may be confused, you tell them Christ is head over all things to the church. Here's what the word of the blessed Christ says. We're going to study a psalm tonight. In that psalm it says that God has placed his word Above all of his name. You think of that. The importance of the word of God. Because we're Christ, the fullness of Christ is in us. How's the world going to be taught? How the world, how will the world know? Only by those whom he would fill. Namely, the church. His body, the fullness of the one, filling all in all. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. And has told us in his blessed word, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, come to Christ. You can hear me say it, and you can misunderstand it, but you cannot misunderstand the call of God. Come to Christ. Having come to Christ, be obedient to his command to be baptized. And then in obedience to that command, follow the example of the saints in the New Testament and plant your life with a local body of believers. If you have any of those or all of those needs in your heart today, God will reveal it to you. And we have deacons and their wives waiting just across the hall as you exit. You'll see them standing at the doorways. Step in there. They'll pray with you and they'll help you with these determinations, with these things. To come to Christ, to follow him in baptism, to be part of a local church. That's our invitation today.